Welcome to episode number 23 of the Road to Cinema podcast, featuring the Oscar-nominated screenwriter of Nightcrawler, Dan Gilroy. Nightcrawler tells the story of Lou Bloom, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, a young thief in Los Angeles who turns his talents to filming car accidents and crime in the late hours of the night and selling that footage to a local news station where the station manager, played by Rene Russo, is more than happy to pay a large sum of money for the most horrific images imaginable. Lou is constantly challenged with finding images that are more horrific than the previous, as well as competing for that very footage with other nightcrawlers and stringers who are looking to take Lou out of the competition. Screenwriter Dan Gilroy is making his directorial debut with Nightcrawler and is up this Sunday for the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. We'll discuss his detailed writing process as well as preparing for his very first film as a director. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, to read the Road to Cinema blog, and to watch our Road to Cinema YouTube series, please visit jogroadproductions.com. And you can follow us on Twitter for the latest updates at jogroad. And now we join screenwriter and director Dan Gilroy as he discusses the influence of his father, Pulitzer Prize-winning playwright and screenwriter Frank Gilroy. Uh, well, the first lesson was a, was a non-verbal lesson. It was just seeing him go up to his room every day and write. So I, I got the work ethic aspect of it, that it was something you needed to do <clears throat> on a daily basis. Then I also learned, prior to any formal instruction, that, that a career has ups and downs, that it's not a static thing, that, that often you're down more than you're up in this business often. And, and, uh, and you have to be ready for that and be prepared for that financially and creatively and emotionally. Then when I started writing, <clears throat> I mean, the basic, the basic tenets I think that, that he put into my head was one, uh, writing is rewriting, to never just fall in love with the first draft or even a second draft. I mean, and, and, I mean in rare, rare exceptions, I guess you can, but, but to often <clears throat> know that, that writing is a process of, of rewriting over and over and over again to, to find the essence of a story and to improve. So that was uh, a lesson, I think, that stuck. And, uh, and to feel passionate about something that you're working on, to, to have passion for the work you're working on, because I think the best chance of having something get made is if you feel passionate about it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, did you ever consider writing at all for theater? Um, you know, it's funny. I, I wrote The first thing I actually got done was a novel. I wrote sort of a, a thriller, potboiler novel that got made, or that got, got published. I say got made, got published. Um, it didn't really pay that much, and so I might have been inclined to write more novels, but then I, I sold a screenplay shortly thereafter, and, and I got pulled into to, to screenwriting. I've always wanted to write a play. I, I love theater, and, uh, and I have some ideas for plays. I've just, the, the, the screenwriting form and, and movies in general, I'm so fascinated by them and, uh, and, and inspired by them and moved by them that I, I just seem to be working this end of the, uh, of the equation. Yeah. Um, so I was curious, um, just going into Nightcrawler and sort of also relating back to your writing process as a whole, uh, how important are, are certain things to you? Uh, like, uh, number one would probably be research in terms of Nightcrawler, as well as uh, outlining and also just uh, general character development uh, before you even write the first page of a screenplay. Vitally important. If I had six months to write a screenplay, I know that's usually a talent to amount of time I give myself. Uh, I would spend, I would spend four months researching and outlining, 
and then like maybe even four and a half months or four four and a half months, and I would spend the last six weeks writing. the The most glamorous part of the entire process is to sit down and write interior, exterior, and start to write dialogue. Before I've done that, for every hour that I do that. I probably have five or six hours or more, maybe sometimes ten hours invested in the in the work that leads up to it, which is which is structuring a story so that I understand it. Uh, screenplays to me, movies to me, are are. And Tony, my brother, says this sometimes. They're sort of like math equations. You can start to see what's adding up to what and what effect, what cause and effect is having on on different parts of the equation and. And it becomes very nuanced and detailed, and, and, and I, I, I need to have a sense of the framework of something before I start to write it from an outline standpoint. And that, that includes, under that, sub, under that umbrella heading, there's this so many subsets, which is characters. And under characters, there's bios. There's what do characters want. There's, there's, there's histories of, of characters. There's emotional makeups of characters. I need to, I'd like to know all that as well. Um, it's hard enough to write good dialogue without when you're sitting there going like, well, where's the story going at the same time? There are writers who do it. I don't know many that do it, but, uh, but there are some writers that do it. And then in terms of the research, it's, it's crucial. Uh, you got to know the world you're stepping into. I think, I think audiences sense when something doesn't feel real. And you can't do service to a story if you don't understand uh, the scope and scale and size and inner workings of it. You need, in, order, in order to really plot something in a world, you need to know what all your opportunities are to where you can go. Yeah. So it's crucial and vital to do all of those for me before I start writing. Yeah, and, and you get a, a great sense of that in Nightcrawler, that there is such a specificity to the world that the audience is looking at. And I'm, I'm sort of wondering, uh, with Jake Gyllenhaal's character, Leo Bloom, in terms of developing him uh, during that outline research process, did, did you sort of create um, your own scope of what that character was outside of the screenplay in terms of a biography and sort of writing about his behavior and, and all of those details. He's a very neat character. And it's funny, you know, you just called him a name that so many people are making that mistake. You're not alone. His name is Lou. Oh, Lou. I'm but, sorry. But, you know, it's, funny, <laughs> it's funny. I've been doing so many years and people call him Leo because Leo Bloom is, uh, is, uh, is, uh, is another fictional creation. But, um, but in terms of Lou, Lou's a very unique character because Lou has no backstory. Lou's, Lou has no backstory in the film that I ever give. The only backstory Lou has is, is implied. There's an implied story of backstory of, of abuse and abandonment. That's really about it. So he was unique in the sense that I came up with some basic parameters for that character, which was the idea that he'd been abandoned in early age. He probably suffered some emotional abuse. That he probably fell on the spectrum of Asperger's or autism somewhere, and he was extremely maladjusted uh, emotionally. And and so it was an odd character in the sense that. I wanted the audience to try to fill in the backstory as the film was going, like little whatever he might say, they might apply their own sense of what was going on. So he was unique in that regard. But, uh, but I also had a very specific way. I knew that the way he spoke would be almost that of a human resource manual for a corporation. So once I had those elements, he, he was very, I never written a character like him before. It was, very, it was actually a lot of fun to write that character. Yeah, when uh, I mean, I mean, I understand you were out also in the field with other stringers, with other yeah. uh, night crawlers, so to speak. Did you observe anybody that sort of resembled that character that you were trying to create? Nobody who was that maladjusted like Lou. I did run into a guy who was very much like Bill Paxson's character. We, uh, we, we, the guy we were with, we showed up this accident, and we were there first, and way before this other guy. 
and the guy we were with got some great footage, and he he was selling it, and he had just downloaded and sold it. And another guy pulled up, and he said, "Oh, you missed it. The best shot was up over the overpass, and you're always late." And they started they started like like being kind of a, an a hole to the guy we were with. And then he kind of said, "Well, you beat me on this one, but I'm gonna I'll get I'll beat you on the next one." And and sort of it was a real sort of aggressive com- competitive note. So I did meet sort of a Bill Paxton character, but not a Lou. Yeah, uh, I was wondering too. Uh, this is the the first film that you've directed, and uh, going into prep it and uh, sort of figure out, you know, in terms of casting, how you wanted to shoot it, and just sort of a general landscape of how you wanted the film to be. Uh, did you feel any challenge uh, stepping in to direct a feature film for the first time in that regard? Well, I've worked with a lot of directors on a lot of different projects, and one of the reasons I never really stepped in to do it before is because I greatly respect the job. It's it's a it's it's it, it uses a lot of different disciplines, and, and it requires a certain knowledge that 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 you have to be conversant in, I think, to make a good film. And I I I I was very I was very nervous about stepping in and and not doing the job that I that I thought I that the movie required. So I spent a lot of time before uh, studying, literally, cinematography and lighting and and production design. And I mean, for months. And this was just on top of all the information that I've tried to pick up over the years of being on sets and so I, I tried to make my I tried to become as, as informed as possible so that I could have legitimate conversations with an Academy Award winning cinematographer like Robert Ellswick and and be able to to talk shot lists and 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 cinematography so what the questions but your question specifically I've lost my thread there oh um yeah I was just sort of asking in general sort of how um you know you sort of prepared to jump in in terms of all the all the uh, fields, yes. you know, casting, photography, you know, yeah, down the, the line. Yeah, cinematography was the hardest part for me. The, the, the casting, uh, uh, a sense of a sense of, uh, uh, of production design, <clears throat> choices like that I felt conversant in. It was, the cinematography was the one. And working with actors even I felt conversant in because I'm married to an actress. And I love working with actors. So, so I didn't feel I needed to find a language to speak to Jake. I, I, Jake wanted to speak the language of the movie, of the story, of the screenplay. And and so I could I could I could very easily converse with Jake about about any aspect of all of that. Uh, it was the cinematography was the one that I felt was the most challenging that I needed to uh, to really to really do research on before I spoke to, to Rock Bellswood about it. Yeah. Did uh, did you ever come into your days with shot lists or very detailed uh, storyboards at all or sort of? You had to. You and uh, this film. I mean, look, there are there are there are there are phenomenal, huge directors who do that way. Steven Spielberg, my understanding, doesn't shot lists. I don't think, my understanding, Steven Soderbergh doesn't. These are people who have so many great films under their belt, and 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 Soderbergh's an operator as well. So he doesn't need to. I my first film, I needed to. I only had 27 days to shoot this film. So Robert Ellsworth and I, for several months prior to the film, sat down and we went through every scene. We had a shot list for every scene. When I showed up on this set, I mean, we had. We only had eight and a half million dollars over, like I said, twenty-seven days or twenty-four nights, and um, and we had over almost eighty locations when you add up all the uh, the, the title sequence shots. So it had to be a very formal plan of how to get all this done on a night-by-night basis, and and shotless were a crucial part of it. Did you also uh, have a chance to rehearse at all in, in terms of sort of figuring out staging, so you would know when you show up on the day how you wanted everything to sort of flow? Jake and I started rehearsing two and a half months wow. before the film started to shoot. Uh, Jake was deeply committed to the character, and I, uh, the first night, the first time I ever met Jake, uh, Jake 
that he wanted to rehearse, and I was just, I welcomed it. I wanted, I wanted to explore the character with Jake. I wanted to get his input. Uh, he was an enormous part of, of bringing the character to life. So it was a question of, yes, yeah, staging, blocking. What are the motivations? What could we try? Jake is a fearless artist who who wants to try things and not and not and not be afraid of whether it works or not. It's just, let's try it. Let's see what we can explore, which I which I deeply responded to. So yes, we were we we had explored all of that in every level before we got to the set every night. Yeah. In terms of uh, the production design of the film, uh, which I think is phenomenal because it's so you you just feel the atmosphere of everything, whether it be his apartment and then going into uh, the actual television studio. It's so surprising in a film to see a real television studio and on top of that a real network and then on top of that actual real anchors and living in LA and being familiar with KTLA to uh, you know just give such an authenticity to the film so I was wondering uh, how far down the road did you see you know using KTLA and was it difficult at all for them to cooperate in being a part of the film? I to this I'm to this day surprised that we got the cooperation we got given the nature of the script and, and what the script ultimately is about. I didn't really at times understand why they were being involved. I mean I, their support was crucial, and they gave it a note of authenticity. And and the anchors are actual as you pointed out real anchors in Los Angeles, and they their 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 presence I think elevated the film in terms of making it more real. I I often was concerned to some degree that, that at the last minute somebody might say, well, they, oh, I reread the script and I, and I don't know if this cast us in, a, in, in the best light. But they all went along with it and they all, we were always up front, please read the script, tell us if you'd like to get involved. Everybody seemed to raise their hand and said they did. Our production designer is a guy named Kevin Cavanaugh, who's based in Los Angeles, who uh, a tremendous talent. And I, I agree with you, he added a lot to the film. Yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, production design is, you know, so often overlooked as a crucial element to a film, but it really adds that detail that's necessary to define character and define atmosphere. Yeah, he was nominated for, uh, in, within his guild, within the within the production designers uh, this year. He was nominated for his work. Uh, no, very well deserved. Yeah. Um, also, too, the, the music of the film, uh, James Newton Howard, uh, from the, you know, the moment the film opens, you're absorbed in that. Uh, as, you know, you were on set or as you were writing... Did you have any ideas about music cues or sort of a, a flavor of music that you really felt would uh, enhance the film? When I was writing it, the moment that Lou came into my head and I started writing him, the minimal description I had is that there's music in his head. It's there's, there's a soundtrack in his head. So the music that James wrote is really, is really literally uh, emotionally and, 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 and musically, it's the music that Lou imagines is the soundtrack for what he thinks is going on. So it's, it's counterpoint objectively to everything that's going on in the movie. It's a dark thematic film, but the soundtrack is an uplifting, soaring score that's, that really is almost like the, a triumphant score. And it's and what it does is, it's, it, I think in, in a lot, many ways, it, it puts us into Lou's point of view and it takes away the moral judgment of the character, which was something we were always striving to do. We didn't want the audience to judge the character and say, oh, this is just a movie about a psychopath. We wanted the audience to stay open-minded and hopefully get some larger thematic uh, relevance out of the film. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, one of the movies that came to mind when I was watching it was uh, the Billy Wilder film Ace in the Hole. Yeah, there is a connection with that film. I mean, in the sense that it's about a journalist who, who obviously has checked their humanity at the door and, uh, and gone off the rails. 
Yeah, no, just having that ambiguity in there and, you know, sort of what his intentions are, you know, sort of links those films in a, in a great way. Yeah, no, and that's, uh, that's an amazing uh, film to be compared to. I love, I love that film. Yeah, um, I'm wondering as well about uh, the post-production process. Uh, I know you worked with your brother, uh, John Gilroy, to edit. Uh, did you feel that there was any difference between the script that you had originally written and then jumping into the editing process and looking at what you had shot in terms of maybe changing things around or sort of um, changing intentions of, of different scenes? Uh, you know, the, the film I shot... It was the film that we it was 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 what we used for to, to 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 in post. I mean, the only there was a couple scenes that got cut out uh, because uh, <clears throat> because they just felt a little redundant. There was maybe a couple crime scenes that he went to that got folded into the montage. There was a scene in a diner earlier on that we shot that got cut out. But other than that, it was pretty much the script that we shot. I, Johnny was just did a tremendous job. Uh, putting some very complex sequences together. Johnny put the, 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 the scene after the Granada Hills house uh, when they're putting this, the broadcast together, the scene in the Granada Hills house, the uh, shootout and the chase. Uh, these, these, were, these were very complex uh, scenes to wrestle down, and, uh, and I very much relied on John for that. Yeah. Um, I was curious, too, uh, just to go back to your uh, research briefly, uh, you know, just watching Jake Gyllenhaal in the film, uh, sort of going through, you know, so many, you know, horrific uh, scenes in terms of, you know, what he catches at night, you know, whether it be murders or just really horrific violence. Uh, w was there anything that you or Jake Gyllenhaal saw, saw in your research that you thought was, you know, so extreme, maybe it couldn't even make it into the film? Well, we saw an accident. We saw some stuff. We were in an accident where three young girls got ejected from a car on a freeway it was very it was pretty brutal i mean yeah there's there's things that we never we never we never really leaned into the the core of the violence i mean we honest we were always pulling back from it in the film we never we never uh whenever there's something very gory or violent in the film it's only really shown briefly and it's usually shown on a screen it's usually shown on the viewfinder or in the editing bay or actually on a tv it's almost it's almost been already removed so so we, our inclination was never to actually go for how graphic and brutal the nightly uh, the nightly rounds are for these stringers who go out because it's they're they're seeing stuff on an hourly basis that 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 would be very difficult to forget. Yeah, um, I'm also um, I'm curious too as far as uh, you know you this is your first film that you directed and uh you know i was curious sort of at the end of the process maybe some essential lessons that you learned that you'd probably carry over into the next film that you direct okay uh well one of the things i mean my brother tony as the producer gave me a lot of advice and one of the things he gave me was the importance of pre-production and planning which we talked about and just how important it is to have a very specific uh idea of, of how each day or night is going to unfold it's once once you're on the set and there's over a hundred people there, and 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 the electricity's up. The clock is running, and and every hour is is money. So 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 to really respect the time and to be prepared, that was the number one. I think the first time you direct, you learn a lot about yourself. <clears throat> Everybody approaches directing in a different way. There's some directors who are very autocratic, who have a very clear view of what they want on on, on even down to the minutia, and and they're not looking for a lot of input. And they're not looking to rehearse, and they pretty much just want to move things around. And they make wonderful films. I'm not that person. I found that I like to collaborate. 
I have a very clear sense of what I want to do, but I'm very open to hearing other people's points of view. I don't want to leave ideas on the table. Um, my style of, I, a director is in many ways sort of a leader, and my, my, my form of leadership very much was one of, uh, of being respectful and inclusive and, uh, and trying to get ideas, good ideas, wherever I could. So I, I took that away from it. I'll probably use that on the next film. And, uh, and I guess the thing, one of the things, I didn't get enough inserts. I was so busy shooting the film that at the end of the film, I had to pick up like over 70 inserts that I never got, which turned out to be a total pain in the ass. <laughs> and I had to go back like, like four different times to do all these inserts that it would have been very easy to get at the time had I been inclined to do it. Wow. Was that tricky at all to match the light that was in the original scene? And yeah, kind of, yeah, it is hard. It's, it's really hard to go back and get these inserts. But the thing is, you're moving so fast, you feel like, oh, I just got the big part of the scene, and we want to keep going into the next big scene because we're running out, you know, we're running out of time. It's, 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 but it's worthwhile to spend the 10 minutes to do the inserts. It's because it, it does catch you on the other side. Yeah, it's, uh, you probably learned a lot about coverage. Did your editor, uh, your brother, John Gilroy, at all sort of suggest any coverage to you throughout the, the course of the film? Yeah, or? he did. There were, yeah. Times, there were times that we had to go back in our driving sequence. <clears throat> he was looking and said, well, I need this, I need this, I need this for coverage. And uh, I, was, I was in very close communication with Johnny all the way through the shoot, uh, even on, an, on a nightly basis while we were working, uh, where I was telling him, listen, we got this, this, and this. And he was going, okay, I think I might need this other shot just to have in the bank in case we need it. So it was, I was very close touch with Johnny about that. Yeah. Um, so as far as, uh, so now that, you know, the film has been tremendously successful and has garnered so much acclaim and, you know, you have a, an Academy Award nomination for Best Original Screenplay. Uh, so I was sort of wondering, you know, what that feels like to have so much acclaim onto this film and also, uh, you know, the meaning of that nomination since, you know, as you said, it is such a, a tough business. It is such a tough road to just, you know, get a film you know, going to begin with. The most gratifying part of the entire experience is like the conversation that I'm having right now with you is to speak to people who saw the film and responded to it. And I don't even mean like, like telling me what a great film it was. I just mean like, wow, I was, I thought this when I saw it, or I was thinking this, or it's just to connect with another person creatively to me is why I do what I do. And I love just hearing what people think, even if they don't like the film, I, I like listening to it. Even if, I, as a matter of fact, if people really hate the film, that's just, that's interesting to me as well. The fact that I might have like got that visceral response, I'm curious about those responses. So I, I love just to hear from people who've seen the film and had some reaction to it. So the to to to, to carry that over to critics who responded to it is is obviously a great joy to have people who, who can reach a large number of people saying you should see the film because uh, it, it, it raises these issues or, or these thoughts or this, these emotions. Um, the awards are something that I never thought about before. I don't write for awards. Um, it's a great honor to, be, to have to be acknowledged by your colleagues and peers, obviously, that, to, to know that they voted for you. That's great. Um, the other thing that's really a big part of the equation it's just the idea that I might have the opportunity to do it again. You know, it's like, it's like to me, the, the best thing about a positive response is it increases the likelihood that I'll be able to maybe make another film and to, and to transmit, you know, another story with different ideas and different thoughts and, and a different style, uh, which is really all I want to do. It's just like I'd like to do it again, you know, to have the opportunity to keep making films. That's, that's the biggest benefit of it. 
Oh, definitely. Um, is there a project uh, that you're currently working on right I'm now? I'm in an early stage. I'm researching another movie set in Los Angeles that I can't really talk too much about, but it's set in LA. Uh, I'd like to shoot another movie here. Yeah, no, that's definitely another unique part of Nightcrawler since, you know, very few films are shooting in Los Angeles uh, just because of tax credits and, exactly. and so forth. Yeah. And I love shooting in LA. It's a great place to shoot. Phenomenal. It's physically beautiful. The crews are amazing. The, uh, it's, 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 it just brings so much thematic uh, weight in so many different directions when you shoot here. I find it's a big plus.